0: Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio, where each week we talk to a musician, artist, author, or other creative Mississippian working in the arts across the state. I'm your host, Melody Moody-Thortis, Arts-Based Community Development Director with the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm speaking with Oxford artist, Glenn Ray Tudor. Glenn Ray, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Well, I want to talk to you about um, your work as a visual artist, but before we get into the ins and outs of that, let's start at the beginning. So, tell me where you grew up.
1: You grew up in Kennett, Missouri. That's in the Boot Hill area of Missouri. Very flat delta uh, terrain, um, very culturally deprived area, uh, which is ironic in a way since I became an artist or was an artist in that area. Um, All my relatives were from Mississippi, however. And so we would visit my family and I would visit relatives in Mississippi. And so when I decided to go to college or return to college, I started college in Missouri and dropped out for a few years, I decided to come and explore my roots in Mississippi and came down to Oxford in 1973, February. Just about this time, Uh, In February of nineteen seventy-three.
0: Now, what um, what side were your Mississippi relatives on? Both. Okay. uh, And they were from the Oxford area. They
1: were from very close to the Oxford area, and just south. Let's see, that would be southeast of here, just a few miles.
0: Okay, and then so you came here and you got your MFA at Ole Miss. Got a BA
1: in art and English in seventy-four, and an MFA in painting in seventy-six.
0: Okay. And tell me about some of the work you did at that time
1: well i uh uh as a kid you know i was just doing normal thing you know dragons and castles and warfare and space invasions and et cetera and then when I did get to college i um, um some surrealist work uh experimental work the the professors uh encouraged a more abstract approach to uh, to visual art and so i explored that area a lot uh tried to find out what i was interested in painting you know subject matter wise uh eventually graduated um thought i would um uh, try it on my own instead of going into teaching exactly at first and Nearly starved, of course. Starving artist is true. Um, After about a year of that, I started teaching at a private school, teaching art and English. Did that for a couple of years. Continued to paint it in all my spare time. Eventually started to make enough money to uh, do it on my own. And so, starting at about the age of 31, 32, that would be 1981, 82. Have devoted myself only to painting since that time.
0: And when you, I know you, um, you're mostly doing painting now. And like you said, you, since that age, have been doing that. Did you do a lot of drawing or other types of art before that, or has painting just always been the thing that? You no,
1: no. Been drawing, to do? drawing was the start. Okay. Yeah, N- knowing I was an artist was actually the start. <laughs> right. And then uh, trying to figure out how to express myself artistically, came next. Mm-hmm. Uh, pencil, crayon, tempera. Age 15, discovered oil paint. Mm-hmm. Um, started painting with oil. And I've experimented with other medium media too, but uh, oil paint is my main medium.
0: You said step one was, was knowing you're an artist, so mm-hmm. that made me think, was there a moment where you felt that Yeah, way? when I was born. Wow. <laughs> That's that's beautiful mm-hmm. that they, you have just felt like that's just who you are.
1: Never had to choose a career.
0: Hmm. Wow, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I guess, like you said, you, you know, you that faces your own, their own struggles there. There's an yeah. good and bad. There's
1: good and bad. Art as a profession is not the therapeutic happy-go-lucky thing that a lot of people see it as.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, you know, the old adage of making anything you love, turning it into your work, mm-hmm. you know, there's difficulties mm-hmm. there and staying.
1: Learning the technique. Yeah, for technique, one thing. Mm-hmm.
0: staying uh, encouraged and thinking of, you mm-hmm. know, new creative ideas. Right,
1: that's very important, the new creative ideas. There's, um. I get very frustrated at artists who can't come up with their own ideas. They, they do something they've seen some other artists do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very rampant in the art world. Um, I think if an artist can't come up with their own unique ideas, they ought to find another profession, personally. That's the way I feel.
0: That's interesting. I, I'm always trying to, I'm a visual artist myself, and I'm just always trying to, to come up with, with new ideas, but then it's like the forcing of it is when it doesn't work Right When I let go of it is when ideas are just flooding mm-hmm. and I don't have enough time to to put well, down all the ideas.
1: Being a, a professional artist and making a living at it it becomes even more tricky, I guess is a word to use, uh how to be very creative and do something that no one else is doing and still make a living from that. You know, the work has to sell. I'm not independently wealthy. You know, I have to do something that somebody buys. Right. But I never think about that when I go into a painting, never. I never think commercially ever. I just paint what I want to paint. And fortunately, my guardian angel has been with me and uh, kind of has helped me along and Absolutely. to allow those things to sell.
0: Well, for those just joining us, I'm Melody Moody-Thordis with the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today on the Arts Hour, I'm talking with Mississippi artist Glenn Ray Tudor. So Glenn Ray, let's talk a little bit about, for our listeners in particular, the... Um, type of painting that you are most known for, mm-hmm. um, some call it hyperrealism, mm-hmm. some call it photorealism. Would you use the terms interchangeably? Not really. Okay.
1: The, the, the difference, used to, a long time ago, they could be used, uh, meant the same thing. If you described a person's painting as hyperrealism, superrealism, photorealism, um you knew what that painting was going to sort of look like. It was going to be very real, look like a photograph, um, uh, carrying realism to the nth degree. Now, photorealism, which started in late 60s, early 70s, the photorealists take a an, a, an object, uh, and they use photographs, of course. That's why it's called photorealism. And they... There's no social commentary. There's no philosophical or meaning, metaphor, or anything like that. It's simply what it is a car parked on the street. Don't go any further, meaning wise. Uh, a house, a building, city street. Hyperrealism now is defined as super realism, but there's a social commentary going on, or a. A metaphor in my case metaphor is extremely uh, important in my painting and when you say hyper realism and photorealism there's a distinction now
0: so do you do your paintings from a photograph or from real life
1: from a photograph from real life and from my imagination
0: wow
1: so I set the still life up Mm -hmm. uh, and I photograph it and I refer to the photographs as I paint but after a while I start changing things and trying to improve the the, the meaning and the visual elements, the composition and, and push it as far as I can and at some point I stop referring to the photographs. Um, I'm not trying to recreate a photograph. Uh, that would be kind of boring very boring actually i'm trying to create a work of art and the photograph is simply the starting point it's like a a study a drawing something that i start from um if when i finish the painting if you were to look at the photographs that i've used as reference and compare them to the finished painting you would think oh well that's they don't look alike they're, they're this, you, are you sure you use these photographs to base this painting on? That's how much difference there is between the two.
0: So, in the sense of how realistic um, they are, are you looking at, like, okay, given the example you just said mm-hmm. that they're different from the photographs, mm-hmm. do you still have to? And I'm sure you're you're further enough in your career. You probably no longer have to do this, but do you have to look at an object? to at least kind of see the edges, the shadows, et cetera, to replicate that? Or are you at the point where you're you're also doing that from memory well, as well? Well,
1: I, I do both. Uh, I, I I like to look at the object. But the object, my paintings are, are this sound contradictory, but they're more real than real. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's say uh, I'm painting a marble on a comic book, which is one of my more recent series started in 19, 2002, I think was the first painting, um, or 2001. You Marbles don't look that way in reality. Uh, the shadows uh, that are reflecting the various colors as the light goes through the marble, that doesn't happen in reality to that degree. Mm-hmm so i'm creating a, an art that is based on visual reality but pushed to a a degree of extreme imagination made manifest visually
0: mhm right like you're pulling out that light or that shadow to really mm-hmm. um emphasize what it's doing that's mm-hmm. that's what i'm i'm looking at at, at the um the painting that glenray is, is describing um, with marbles on the comics i hope anyone listening will go um, look at his work to see the the magnitude of what we're describing but but you know you can see in the shadows it's not a gray shadow it's you know there's there's depth in every part of it that yeah you may or may not see in real life mm-hmm. and i would argue that some people may see it and others may not you mm-hmm. know i i remember doing studies in in art school where we had to paint the co- actual colors that were in the shadows because mm-hmm. we're just so used to saying, oh, it's black or it's gray, or, mm-hmm. you know, when it's not. Mm-hmm. It's full of color. Um, and so you've, you've done a, an amazing job doing that. You're um, credited as one of the world's top hyper-realist artists. So mm-hmm. is this the type of work that you've done all along?
1: As I said earlier in our conversation, I started when I started painting with oil paint you know, when I was 15 years old, I was striving for a, a hyperrealism mm-hmm. approach um, but I was you know I, was, I had to learn had to learn a lot about painting, and so i wasn't able to achieve in those early days of painting what I wanted to achieve um, but by the time I was in my late 20s I was I was able to pursue it and and actually start to see the painting develop as I wanted it to look. Mm -hmm. So I would say late 20s, uh, it would would probably start to call me a hyper-realist at that point.
0: Well, you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. I'm Melody Moody-Thordis with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'll have more with my conversation with guest Glenn Ray Tudor after the break. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people across Mississippi. Today, I'm honored to speak with visual artist Glenn Ray Tudor. Glenn Ray, thank you so much for joining us. Um, before the break, we were talking about hyperrealism and some of the work you do, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the series work that you've done. We talked a little bit about... Um, the marbles and the shadows but let's dive deeper into the marbles and comic book series Mm -hmm. Um, i'm interested to know um well first where did the comic books come from (laughs) are these are these real comics Uh,
1: when i was a child i fell in love with comic books riding in the grocery basket as my mother pushed it down the grocery kroger aisle At the end of the aisle, I saw the comic book stand, and it was like a magnet, and that started my uh, collecting comic books. I didn't read them. I was only interested in the visual aspect. Um, Even after, that was when I was like three years old. Uh, When I did learn to read, later, I still didn't read the comics. I made up my own stories, as I had in the beginning the as i grew older and 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 started my various uh, series the jar series the firework series container series etc i was t- always trying to figure out a way to incorporate my love of comic books and and all that they meant to me all the metaphoric elements into my work and i tried and tried and i wanted to find an original way to do it to to go about it, but I couldn't figure it quite out. Uh, When I was in my late 20s, I did a series trying to incorporate comic books into my painting, and they were pretty much failures. Uh, However, a collector who bought one, a Washington, D.C. resident, I was in Washington, D.C. in, in, I think it was the year 2000, or or it might have been 99, and I was staying with this collector, and he asked me, well, have... Have you been able to, to you know, do this? Have you been able to incorporate comic books into your work? Uh, this, you know, He bought the painting when I was about 28, 29, and now we're talking about I was 50 years old. Is that right? Yeah, and, uh, or about almost. And, and I said, well, you know, I thi- I've been thinking about it and trying to incorporate them into my work, and I think if I had about six months, I could do it. And he said, "Well, I've got some money right now, and I'll. You go back to Oxford, and start to work on it, and I'll finance the time. But I want the painting when you finish, if you if you succeed." And I came back, and I did. It took me a little longer than six months, but I was able to break, go over the wall, and and, and succeed at what I was trying to do. The one thing I didn't want to do was do a painting that was like Roy Lichtenstein's uh up until because I really don't care about his work at all it doesn't affect me um even though it sometimes has to do with the comic book image I wanted to do something entirely different um and I did and up until that time I had not seen comic books used in fine art except for Lichtenstein or this 60s pop artist um and it's funny because after I did started my series and and the work started to be acquired publicly, now you get on the internet and you see all these copycats mm-hmm. you know they're missing the point though they're missing my metaphoric uh or my many metaphors in the in the work, and they're going for the nostalgic aspect um whereas my the important thing about my work in especially in the comic book series. Are the metaphors involved
0: so when you talk about the metaphors i i um, i can't help but ask about the text mm-hmm. so the text that's included in these um, comic book strips, I know this is difficult for those listening who can't see what we 're talking about. I will post some 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 of these images um, but what what's the significance of the text
1: The text is uh, it is the narrative is what you're talking about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, there's a story, you know, I'm, I'm giving the, the viewer clues as to what the painting's deeper meaning is. Uh, I'm playing around with the ideas of childhood and adulthood and the differences and similarities. The, the, the marbles are toys, but they're also, if you put one of those on a slingshot and aim it at somebody's forehead, you're going to create a weapon. And so they're, they're, they have a duality in meaning, uh, a, um, almost opposite meanings. Uh, the, the comic books, um, and I'm just, I'm just throwing various ideas out there because there's a lot of them in these paintings, but I'll touch on a few. The, the, um, I'm using romance comic books for the most part. I'm commenting on relationship, you know, good and bad you know, a romantic relationship. We've all had good ones. We've all had experienced bad ones. I'm commenting on that. I'm commenting on time, the movement of time. A panel in a comic book is like a moment of time. And you move from one mom- moment of time to the next panel, and it's like a second goes by. So you're moving in these sections, panels. Um, so I'm talking about time as well as adulthood, childhood, toys, uh, a comic book you think of as being a, uh, a child's, something a child would be interested in, more th- so than an adult, but in what I depict in the comic books are adults um, uh, interacting with one another. So um, there's a lot going on. The further you look, uh, the, the I could go on and on about the meaning.
0: Yeah, you really, when you, I'm looking at it as you're describing that, and you start to see the layer after layer. Well, if you're just joining us, I'm Melody Moody-Thordis, and this is the Mississippi Arts Hour. Today, I'm talking with Mississippi artist Glenn Ray Tudor. So, Glenn Ray, we talked a little bit about um, your comic book and marble series. So, um, let's talk about some of the other series work you've done. I'd love to know about um, the work you've done with the jars. Mm -hmm. Um, They're so full of color. Um, and after hearing you, I'm sure they're so full of metaphor as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind them and, and any, any hidden meanings there might be with the jars?
1: I was looking for a, an, uh, a subject that I could have more control over uh, in composing instead of going out uh, in, you know, on the street or walking around, finding something that's pretty much composed already i wanted to find something that i i could manipulate and and uh manipulate the com- composition more and i wanted a, a metaphor i wanted a, i was looking for a metaphor at that time and we're going back to the mid 80s now probably 84 a 80, possibly 85 um i was i wanted a, a metaphor that would would show what it was like to be alive what ourselves our being uh, our bodies are a body is a container like a jar and it contains what we are that is some people call it a spirit we're contained within that container for a while just like the contents of my jar series uh the jars they contain vegetables jelly so forth but someday it's going to be opened somebody's going to open that lid and utilize that content and the content then will become something other than what it is while it's in the jar just as our spirits will become something else after we leave this body we don't know what that is even if it's nothing it'll be different from what we are now and so that's that's one of the main metaphors in my jar series, uh, expressing our, our reality as people or humans or living things.
0: Now, during the break, we were talking about um, the the series you did on hot sauces. Mm-hmm. So um, we t- tell our listeners, um, you know, a little bit about uh, your thoughts behind the, the, the hot sauces.
1: It's the same thing as the jar series. They're containers. The hot sauce uh, represent our our. Identities or or living identity. The reason I chose hot sauce was because um, the idea of, of that being a sti- uh, uh, um, hot, you know, affecting. Uh, you, you know, you open a can of beans, a jar of beans, and and it's kind of a bland taste. You open a, a jar of hot sauce, and it's and it's got a spark to it. So there's a slightly different thing happening. Uh, I was drawn to that as well as the visual aspects of the red and the greens. Uh, always interested in labels, uh, the the narrative elements, um, probably coming from my first experience of, of going to the grocery store with my parents, seeing all the canned goods, bottles, and jars, and so forth. Um, just the just the uh, amazing reflective qualities of the glass. Uh, when I first started painting the glass containers, I—it it seemed so complex. I wasn't sure if I could pull it off or not. Um, but I thought, if I could, wow, that will be, really be a complex part of the composition.
0: I've 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 been fearful to paint glass for that same reason in the past. I love color. Like I said, I want to want to really show those sides, and I've, I've been too scared. You're you're encouraging me to try again. You got to
1: try. You know, just don't think of it as something that you can't see. You know, how how does one go about painting something that's clear?
0: Right. <laughs> you know,
1: it, it seems impossible, but it can be done.
0: Exactly. I thought the same thing about um, painting an egg yolk. I thought I'd really like to paint an egg yolk, mm-hmm. but. Ooh, painting those edges on something clear seems so difficult. Mm-hmm. I guess that's really when you work with stuff like the bubbles, right, or the the. You're, you're working with what
1: is happening on the other side of the glass. In mm-hmm. other words, inside the container, you're, you're looking at the glass itself, which is picking up reflections from both inside the container and from what's surrounding the, the container. You may have a, a, you know, a green shirt on. A part of that would be reflecting in the glass. And right. it helps define the glass.
0: Texas Pete is that that's your favorite hot sauce? Well, it's one of group? my favorites. It,
1: it's not too hot, and it, you know, it's, it's it's not like a Tabasco that, that is almost too hot. Uh, Texas Pete. I like the idea of a, of a cowboy image as well. Uh, the owner of Texas Pete saw one of my paintings with the Texas Pete hot sauce in it, and uh, uh, called my dealer and wanted wanted to know why I was painting it and she called me and asked me I said because I like it it's one of my favorites and she told him he's somewhere on the east coast uh not in Texas um next thing I know a couple weeks later I receive a a big box of all kinds of Texas peat products
0: (laughs) that's fantastic Wow. Uh, Well, you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. I'm Melody Moody-Thordis with the Mississippi Arts Commission. After a short break, we'll continue our conversation with my guest, Glenn Ray Tudor. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people living in Mississippi. Today, I'm speaking with Oxford-based artist Glenn Ray Tudor. So, Glenn Ray, before the break... We talked a little bit about your jar series and your hot sauce series, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the series you did on these fireworks so first, I have to ask you what era are these from are these are, I, I'm not familiar with fire very familiar with fireworks uh, I,
1: I started acquiring those um, in the mid eighties so I would say they date from nineteen eighty four to Nineteen ninety-three, perhaps about ten year. Like, I'm still using the ones that I collected from eighty-four to say ninety-four.
0: And what's the what? What inspired you to do um, the fireworks series?
1: Well, I loved fireworks as a kid. uh, The shape, the colors, the um, promise of what they would be when you know lit the fuses the excitement of lighting that fuse and seeing that thing change into something else. And there, that, there we go with that metaphor again, the uh, representation of ourselves in that firework. Uh, they're one thing before the, fu- the fuse is lit. You light the fuse, and they become something else entirely.
0: And they represent, to me, they re- really represent an experience.
1: An experience, a, celebra- a celebration uh celebration of life itself and you know and don't forget that a firework is a it's a missile Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's a bomb it can be used to create destruction as well as create beauty and to me life contains both of those things and so when i'm in my metaphoric use of those i'm I'm dealing with both both extremes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you look at it, just like your other pieces, you see the layers. I mean, you start to see this 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 nostalgia almost. Um, you know, at least I I tend to think of fireworks as something that is is childlike in a sense, but powerful. I mean, there is powerful, definitely the
1: nostalgic aspect, but but uh, but nostalgic, the nostalgia in my work actually is is a very minor element to the composition honestly. It's there, don't get me wrong, but it but there are a lot of other things that are stronger than that particular element.
0: So um, all of your work is oil-based, is that right?
1: I've done it, some experiment with uh, watercolor and acrylic, but primarily everything's oil on canvas or, or oil on paper.
0: And is that where the vibrant colors are coming from, or are you doing something to add vibrancy N- no, to your no, work? No, it,
1: uh, it takes a lot of layers to get that vibrant color. You can't just get Right. put down one layer. You have to keep building up the layers. The The technique that I'm using is the same technique as Vermeer used, one of my favorite artists. Um, it, it's simply oil paint applied to canvas or paper with brushes. Simple as that. Wow. So...
0: So it's so you're just using brushes and oil. You're you're not necessarily, I guess. What I'm looking at is some of this glass work, with the detail that's there. I would almost think you would be doing some knife work or doing you know using some other elements. But you're but mm. you're primarily just using different sizes of brush. Right. Okay. And
1: to get the detail requires a very small brush, mm-hmm. the fine detail. Now you can't see my technique. You can't see how I did it, and I don't want you to see how I did it mm. because I'll tell you my first experience of, of seeing real art or, or re- original art. I was about six, 17 years old, 18 perhaps, and I went to Memphis to the Brooks Memorial uh, Museum. And I, up until that time, I'd only seen reproduction in magazines, books at the library, um, and paperback books, uh, illustrations. And, you, and especially in the 50s and 60s, photography was not as as good as it is now and so you couldn't see the brush strokes. So I had never seen and I, all that time I was trying to achieve a, a painting and, and 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 not let you see how it was done because that's the way I thought original art looked in reality. Well when I went and saw the actual paintings in the in the museum, I was very disappointed because I could see how it was done. It was like seeing going to a magic show and and the and the magician showing you how he did the trick and then doing the trick it, it, i was very uh, disappointed and so i came back from that experience and i still was determined to do do my work so that no so that the viewer it was magic mm-hmm. you know i want the viewer to see the art not how the art Was manufactured. I don't see
0: the man behind the curtain. No, no,
1: no. Don't uh, let's say you go to a piano recital. I don't want to hear all the bad notes he made while he was practicing the piece. I want him to uh, to do it flawlessly, and and make it art.
0: So tell me a little bit about. If, if you don't mind, the, your process. You know, how long how long does it take you to do? I mean, it, you know, each one is different, I'm sure, so maybe you could use an example.
1: It, you know, it depends on the size of the painting. Often a larger painting will take longer than a smaller painting, but not, not always. Uh, I don't have a recipe. If I had a recipe, I could tell you exactly how long a painting would take. But since I'm trying different things as I paint, uh, painting but well I, I never c- complete a painting uh, uh, in less than a month's time okay and, and the painting that I did right before my book portals came out uh, in November took me eight months to, to paint and uh, so I never know um, if I if I were simply reproducing a photograph or or if I had some kind of recipe as to how to go about creating a, a painting, then I'd just as soon be working at a factory in an assembly line,
0: mm-hmm. you know. Right, because it takes the creativity out of it
1: The, you. you. you know, if, 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 if I could give, if, if I could create a recipe of how to do it, then, you know, I'd give it, anybody could take the recipe and do the painting.
0: Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit more about um, your new book, Portals. You said this came out in November. I'm looking at it um and I know it. You said it's available at Lemur, Lemuria. He's right, in Jackson. Jackson. Um, is it? it, it it's is it's, the available, only place it's any,
1: available anywhere. Anywhere uh, books you know can be ordered or sold. Uh, the you can order it directly from the publisher, which is Yoctnapatapa Press. Uh-huh. You can order it directly from uh, supersonicart.com. Dot Lemuria stocks it. Square Books in Oxford, my hometown. And it's called
0: Portals by by Glenn Ray Tudor. That's Glenn Ray with two N's. Um, So tell me about the creation of this book and the inspiration behind it.
1: It, it, um, It's an extensive interview throughout the book conducted by my son, Zach Tudor. The imagery, there's, I think, 238 paintings reproduced. And it consists of selections of my work from starting in 1983 to the present time. Mm-hmm. Naturally, everything's not included, but a good number of the paintings during that time are included in the book.
0: So this is over 30 years of your work. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys just heard how long it takes to create, um, on average, um, a painting. Um, so so um, what, was the, what was it like creating this with, uh, in collaboration with your son?
1: It was very interesting uh he he certainly asked a lot of good questions um and as I say, it's an extensive interview
0: and and uh it, it, can you give us any highlights um about some of the things that people might find of particular interest um in the interview portion or
1: well, I talk about a lot of the things you and I've talked about today mm-hmm. the metaphoric elements and the technique um uh, the brushes and so forth um but i also get uh, you know into the philosophies that i'm co- you know concerned with I cover a lot of ground in the book uh in the interview and there's a lot of uh, series represented starting all the way back to my um i guess you would call it outside views series starting in the early 80s
0: and um, in addition to, um, you know, promoting the work that, you know, it t- took quite a while to put this book together, um, in addition to promoting that, what, what work are you working on now, currently?
1: I am in the process of painting a painting in the marble and comic book series.
0: Okay, so you're continuing that series. I've got
1: a whole lot of ideas uh, yet to do in that series, yes.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense since you've been thinking about for so long how to incorporate comics into your work that mm-hmm. you would continue to um, have. I've no been working idea. on
1: that series, let's say, for how how many years would it be from 2002?
0: Okay, so 17 years.
1: Isn't that incredible?
0: That is absolutely incredible. Wow. Your your work itself is incredible. Again, I'd encourage anyone um, to, to check out your work. Um, I'm
1: just getting started with the Marvel comic book series and the... Uh, fireworks series uh especially those two the container series i really need several lifetimes to to get the work done that i would like to do
0: that's inspiring as 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 a visual artist who struggles to think of ideas that is absolutely inspiring that that you feel that you you could fill up multiple lifetimes with the ideas you have so um what what have you learned from other artists what inspires you what have you learned good Uh, i've
1: mentioned vermeer before uh fantastic artist I've learned almost as much from listening to Mozart uh, as I have studying other artists visual techniques I don't, I'm uh, I've learned as much from the artists that I don't care for as I have the artists I do because you have to know what you don't want to paint as well as how to you know uh, Learned a technique, for example, uh, Vermeer. I keep going back to Vermeer because you can't see how he did it. You know, you, you have even if you use a magnifying glass, it's hard to tell. You, it would be hard for you to tell how I did it, even with a magnifying glass. Um, I've learned so much from, um, or I don't know if "learned" is the right word, uh, inspired maybe uh, by uh, illustrators, more so than the you know hotshot. Artists like Picasso and so on. I- illustrators like Wally Wood, Will Elder, uh, Mad Magazine artists, Drucker and those guys. Um, that's who I saw as a kid, you see. those I didn't see the only oh, major artists, I guess you would call them, that I saw were reproductions in art history books at the library.
0: Now, I, I read and, and tell me if this is correct that you're you're credited as one of three people that helped create the hyper realistic movement. Is, uh, that, is that accurate?
1: I think I've I created it myself, just <laughs> myself, but uh, whoever said that got it pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> there you
0: go. <laughs> that's fascinating. Just by pushing just pushing the envelope, pushing, pushing, mm-hmm,
1: pushing, pushing. Pushing, pushing. That's that's right.
0: <laughs> yeah, now I need to look up who those other two people
1: are. I'd like to know who they were, too. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so people can find your work at glenraytutor.com. That's right. Okay, and that's That, Glenn, that Glenn will Ray lead Tutors. you
1: to all the uh, uh, people that represent me, sell my work. Uh, it'll, you'll find all kinds of information by going to Glenray Tudor, well, Glenray Tudor Google or whatever uh, sure. search. But, yeah, I have a website called glenraytutor.com.
0: Great. And you can uh, pick up the book portals wherever books are sold, um, as well as at Lemuria Bookstore in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. If you missed part of this interview or you want to listen again, you can go to mpbonline.org backslash Mississippi Arts Hour. And be sure to tune in each week for the Mississippi Arts Hour, a co-production of MPB Radio and the Mississippi Arts Commission.